Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Amen and amen. Hey, do me a favor uh, and do your neighbor a favor. Just let your neighbor know that God loves him, would you? Your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, say, you know what? God loves you. And do it nicely. That way the, the message really gets across. Don't like give him a shoulder, be like, hey, God loves you. Hey, and just in case nobody told you, I just want you to hear it from me. God loves you, just so you know that. He, he does love me. He does. And it's great knowing that, that that's a fact. And, and that God is so endearing and so caring in the way that he just not only provides, but that he just is. Uh, we are going to continue in our series, in just really a collection of talks, talking about moving mountains. And just, I know that there's some anticipation still, now that we're a couple weeks into the series, but I just know and believe that, that you are like right on the edge of your seat, and that your, your faith puts you right on the edge of your seat, because you're anticipating, you're waiting, you're wanting God to move and do something mighty. And maybe even answer the prayers that you've been praying and petitioning God for a long time about. I know that's true of me. I've been, prayer, I've been praying certain prayers for a long time. And God has not, not delivered those prayers in the way that I would want Him to yet. But I'm believing that He will. And if not, I just pray in accordance with His will. Even if I don't get what I want specifically. But I want you to know this. That prayers that move mountains unlock the power of God. Uh, prayers that move mountains unlike the, unlock the power of God. And there's something to the power of God, and there's something to the power of prayer that we're going to see today in, in our passage in Matthew 6. But a few weeks ago, just we'll start here. A few weeks ago, Marla and I went up to Starve Rock. I hadn't been there in decades. Went up there for a wedding and hadn't been there. And I don't know why, because it's amazing. I just I love nature. I love hiking. I love Water, the river, all the things that, that you find up there, except all the people. There's a lot of people there, too, but that's okay. I love people. Um, sometimes when I like to get on the trail, I like to kind of like get away from as many people, but that's not necessarily the place for that. But it's just a beautiful place. So we went up to Starved Rock State Park, and it was amazing. Just spend the day. Uh, we just got in Big Red 2.0. That's my pickup truck, by the way. Yes, there was a 1.0, and there's a reason why this one's 2.0. But it's like we got in Big Red, and we went up and just drove. We had an amazing time. And, I, and I'm sitting there, and I'm the weird person that goes to a state park, and I want to read every placard. I'm that guy. I know some of you are not. Some of you are like, I just want to see the things. I don't want to read. I'm like, I'm the reader, and I want to see some things. So I'm like looking at these placards, and, and then Marla, she's not as, she'll read some of them, not like, she doesn't weird out on them like I do. So I'm like wanting to read them and she's ready to move on. And I'm like doing one of these numbers and, you know, trying to, to catch all the details. But it's amazing to me all of the significance that it's happened there with Native Americans and, and all of that at Starved Rock and just the bad things that happened there too. But just I was even amazed as, as I'm walking down the, the trail slash boardwalk, which is that trail, and, and then looking at all of the sandstone bluffs, and I thought, wow, that is just so weird because on the other side, it's pretty much as flat as can be, and then there's the Illinois River, and then you have these bluffs. So then because me being the person that I am, I did a, a little bit of a deep dive as to what caused them, and it was Illinois River, and, and ultimately it, ga- it came down to two things, two very powerful forces on earth. 
one of which is wind, and one of them is, is water. Really kind of like a blah. Really? Oh, that created everything. Like it shaped everything. And then, of course, the glaciers and the ice age that happened after the flood of Noah and Genesis 6 and all the significance. And, and I, I just, I, I kind of brought me, I've been thinking about that because we did this weeks ago. I thought about that and I, in, per, as it pertains to this series. And I thought, you know what? Wind and, and water are some just powerful forces on earth. And they just are. And, and they've done some amazing and also catastrophic things. But the most powerful the mightiest force is when a follower of Jesus Christ prays in the mighty name of Jesus. That is the most powerful force on earth. That is not only the mountain moving force that in just some metaphorical way, but also in a, a deeply spiritual way that God has a way when His kids pray in accordance with His name and in accordance with His will to make certain things happen here on earth that you would think only happen in heaven. We're going to see more of this next week, but we're going to do a, a deep dive into that this week as well. So Matthew 6, verse 9. Week 1, we, we just kind of mapped out, hey, don't pray like hypocrites. Don't just pray in public if you're not praying in private. Don't just use a bunch of words and don't just babble on and on and on and on and on and call that prayer. Last week we talked about and we're just reminded of who we're praying to. It's our Father in heaven. It's not just ours. It isn't just my walk with God. It's our walk with God, that we're all family. We're all, if we're in Christ, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Of course, those of us who are not Christians, you're not in Christ. You're not in the family of God. You're outside the family of God. If you're here, if you're listening and, and that's you, you're welcome here. But we're not all children of God. We're just not all children of God. That's just a simple fact. Those of us who have a walk with Jesus Christ are children of God. And God invites us to pray in the mighty name of the Father. And we talked about this last week. Our Father in heaven. This week, we're going to jump into right in the middle part of verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I remember when I was a kid, I was part of a a certain faith group that just had to pray this, and I didn't know why I just prayed this. And I remember this certain part, hallowed be your name. I'm like, I don't know, I'll just say it. I don't even know what this word means. Um, hallowed, what is that? I've never used that word before. You probably never used that word before other than in prayer or maybe reading passages of Scripture like this. So we're going to discover really what that means and how that, that word, that meaning, and how it connects to God, but also it has a relevance to our life. So let's just do a, a little bit of a, of a deep dive into this, if you will. So if you're taking notes, the first note you're going to take, and it's pretty obvious, we're just going to break down right here in the middle of verse 9, hallowed be, hallowed be. So if you're a note taker, you probably figured that one out ahead of time. I'm not real, real crafty, real witty when I'm putting together notes for you to take notes with on your, on your connection card. I'm just not. I was just like, okay, well, it's in the passage. I think I'll have you write that down. So here you go. Um, that's what I did here. Not real profound. So if you're taking notes, hallowed be. So we're going to divide this up into two different ways. The word hallowed literally means, or it could, could be uh, used for this meaning, it's to be held in reverence or regarded or treated as holy. Maybe your translation doesn't say hallowed at all. It says holy. And, and while that's true, that word hallowed is actually, it's based off the same word, 
hagios, that is the word holy in the Bible, but also it, it draws out that meaning. So it's not just meaning holy, but also it's, it, it is that, but it's also something a little bit more. I love what Albert Moeller, he said this. He said, Jesus is not merely saying that God's name is hallowed. Rather, he's asking God to make his name hallowed. In other words, he's not just saying something about God's name. He's also asking that his name would be hallowed here. That there would be a, uh, there would be a benefit to that name and the power that comes by that name and the attributes that are associated with that name. That it wouldn't just be something that we talk about with God in a heavenly sense, but that the heavenly sense would be made true in the earthly sense. That if we're going to continue in, in our study next week, that is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's, there's a connection bringing all these ideas together. You know, wrongly, I, I used to think that, that prayer was like my way of like arm wrestling God to get what I wanted. So I used to treat God in that way. I used to pray, and when I would pray, I would, I would pray in it because I would just like be white-knuckled prayers, and I would go back to God over and over and over, and I would, I would just treat it as if I was arm-wrestling God. Like, if I could just convince God that I'm right, then He will do what I want. And what I found in my walk with God is I'm so thankful that God did not do that. Because there's many things that I, that I prayed for and that I've longed for, and yet simply were not the best thing for me, but I didn't know it at the time. And I think we can actually do that too. We can... We can treat God like it's an arm wrestling match. Who in the house today has a guilty pleasure, by the way? Anyone have a guilty pleasure? Anyone, anyone, anyone? It's a guilty pleasure. doesn't mean it's sin, okay? I know the word guilty's in it, but it doesn't mean sin. Like, okay, so some of us are honest, so that's good. We'll go with that. One of my guilty pleasures, and I didn't even know this was a guilty pleasure, but one of my guilty pleasures uh, that I found that, that the Facebook algorithm uh, found for me I used that word last week, remember, and I said prayer is not an algorithm, but then I, I talked about how making lasagna could, it is an algorithm, remember that? And I, you were hungry and ate, ate, you know, Italian after the service, remember? I did that. Um, so, yeah, there you go, there you go, it's coming around. So, it's an interesting thing about this is when one of my, my guilty pleasures, and I didn't realize this until the Facebook algorithm showed me I can't say that algorithm. I can't say the word today. But it showed me was this. It showed me that one of my guilty pleasures is watching arm wrestling videos. <laughs> I'm not an arm wrestler. I'm not. I'm, I, don't, I, I'm, I can't match up with any of those people who arm wrestle. But, but I just learned that by watching uh, Facebook because, because of the algorithm. I said it right. It automatically shows you videos that you like and it shows more of them. And I was inundated for a while. I was like, good grief, what is up with this? Because I was sitting watching these videos like it go through. And I love the ones where a guy was undersized and he beat the guy that was like oversized. I just love that. And I've never seen female arm wrestling. It probably happens. I didn't see that. But it was just most of the time it was guys. And that, is, that was like a, a guilty pleasure that I found along the way. And, and I want you to know that, that prayer is not like arm wrestling. It's not like I used to think that it was. It's not like me trying to convince God that my way is better than His. Instead, when we pray in accordance with the will, and we pray, and we make God's name hallowed, what we're doing is we're accepting something about 
about the name of Jesus and also the attribute, or just the name of God and the attributes of God to say that your will is better than our will and I'm willing to submit to that, to submit to a person, that being God himself. So part of this, this discovery that I've also found, this idea of hallowed, just digging into, into that, it's a complicated Greek word, but it is connected to, to the Greek word hagios, which I talked about earlier, which means holy, and some of your translations say that. And I, although I know that seems like something that's irrelevant to our life, I want you to know that we do these sorts of things all the time. We just don't tag that word into it. Like, for instance, uh, to be hallowed is to be set apart. So it's, it's to have reverence for something, and it means that you're setting something apart or something is, is set apart or it's, it's different or it's distinct. So it's allowing. If we're saying something is hallowed, we're saying that they're different. There's a different to that. There's an otherness to that thing, and we use it in this same idea when it comes to certain things or people. We may say, well, that, that the person may be set apart for for God's work. So they're set apart. They're different. We may even use that of somebody who, not even in ministry, but just somebody whose walk with God is just marked. And I've been around these people who are not even in ministry, but you just look at them and you say, whoa, that person is just marked by the Spirit of God. They just have the Spirit of God. There's an otherness to them. They're set apart. There's, there's a, a difference within them. That's the holiness of God coming through their lives. This idea of setting them apart. In the Old Testament, the temple was, was a place that was hagios. It was holy. It was set apart. It was different. An altar within the temple. I did a deep dive on this several weeks ago. It was the same. The priest who would go in to offer those sacrifices, you could go into, in, into the book of Hebrews and see this for yourself of just a special place. You could also go into Leviticus. You could also go into Deuteronomy and see the special place that, that the priest had because they were hagios. They were set apart. They were to be different. They weren't just uh, milling amongst the people. They were set apart for God's special purpose. So in the petition, how would be your name? It's the petition, let God's name be treated differently than every other name. Let it be set apart and let it be different than every other name. Let us never profane the name of God. Ever. That's never okay. Your, your loss of emotional control and you flying off the handle and using words and using God's name in vain is never acceptable. And any time that happens, that is, a, that is a moment in time where you need to confess that I sin before God and you need to repent of that before God, right in that moment. Not letting that sin bake into you or getting comfortable with that sin or any other sin for that matter. But the name if we're, and, and the person... So it's not only the name of God, but also the nature of God that is hallowed, that is set apart. So the name and the nature and the character and the personality of the person of Jesus is that of God is hallowed, is set apart, is different. It's marked. There's something special. There's an otherness. 
And yet amazingly, the, the, the God of, who sustains and created the whole universe also wants a connection with us. It's amazing to me. Is it amazing to you? That God would care about some kid who, who early years grew up in Colton. It's, I mean, it wasn't even big enough to be a city. It's the village of Colton where I grew up to think that God would, would just want to speak to me. And then compounding that with all the bad things that I've done and the sin that, that defined my life for so many years. And, and just the, I, I didn't have any sort of accolades. I was, the, I was the middle child and I was the person who was lost amongst everyone else. And yet God in his grace met me at the age of 21. He made me his son. He put me in his family. He gave me the, the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And now because of that, I have a walk with him. And I'm just, I'm just the, the, the smallest, most simplest, most common man. And you may identify with some of the things or all of the things that I just said. And it's just amazing to me personally that God would want something to do with me, but I know that he also wants something to do with you. So we pray fully aware of two vastly different ideas, but they go together in Jesus Christ. We pray fully aware of his infinite, infinite greatness and mind-boggling nearness. We pray that there's a there's an infinite greatness that is, that is in the name and nature of God, and yet it's the God incarnate that just that offers up a mind-boggling nearness to sinners. Like, And to think that Jesus, I realize we celebrate this at Christmas, and it also gets lost in the tree and the gifts and all the other things and good food and family. All those things are good things, but they're not to, to, to trump what it is that Christmas is about. That, of course, being the birth of Christ. But it's like that. We celebrate Christmas, the incarnation of God here on earth. That God come to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. It's that mind-boggling nearness. And yet at the same time, it's the infinite greatness of our God. A way to convey this is, is a story that I, I read recently, and I'll share some of it with you. There's a a really big radio receiver that's in New Mexico, pilots who, who are in the nearness of it, they call it the mushroom patch. Never seen it for myself. I've only read about it. Its real name is the Carl G. Jansky Very Large Array. So you can imagine they don't call it by that whole name. Oh, that's the Carl G. Jansky Very Large Array. And so in other words, what they actually call it is the VLA, short for Very Large Array. It is a series of 27 huge satellite discs on 38 miles of railways. And all of the dishes all together, all of the 27 huge satellite dishes, they all work in conjunction with one another to mimic one telescope the size of Washington, D.C. So all of it working together on a railway in a system, connected, very large array. It's implied in the name. It, it has the, the capacity as if it's one telescope the size of Washington, D.C. And I don't know if you've been to D.C., but it's a pretty large city. People come from there from all over the world to, to go see the VLA, and, and they go there specifically because of that arrangement of satellites has the ability to detect radio wave signals from light years and millions of light years away and, and detect such small signals that because of the mass of these, and the way that they're just arranged all together, that the satellites can pick up even the smallest of signals. 
When I was looking into this, it was interesting. They said that the total energy of all radio waves ever recorded barely equals the force of one snowflake hitting the ground. So the VLA has the ability, the capacity to detect things that small, that small. I couldn't help but think of this fact, what great lengths people go to in search for just a faint message from space to believe that there's something else out there. Even as God has spoken so clearly to us through His Son and through His Word. But we're so, we're so enamored with life on Mars. We're so enamored. Is there life out there? Are there water deposits on, on random places? We're so enamored to, to try and catch a random radio wave from millions of light years away to see if there's life out there instead of asking the question, who put life here? And does he care about us? Did he just create us in some sort of cosmic way and then leave for leave to just allow us to just live our lives in such a way until he just comes back when we make a mess of things? Or is there something better that he's doing? The good news is there's a lot better that he's doing because he allows his children to pray in accordance with his name. As we hallow his name, holding together his name and his nature and taking them, when Jesus Christ becomes our Lord, he allows us the ability to pray and bring the power of heaven to earth. So we don't need to grapple. Of course, I have no, there's nothing wrong with somebody being curious about space and, and, and you know, Mars and all those kinds of things. I could really care less. What I get deeply concerned about is people so concerned with other things and, and even people within the church being so concerned with other things and neglecting the most important thing. That's God and what He wants to do in your life. What He desires to see developed in your life. What He allows to, to, to happen in your life when you submit to Him. I'm, I'm really curious about that because I not only want your life to improve, I also want your sphere of influence to improve, and I want the gospel message to flow through you because I want to meet your lost friends, and I want them to be, I want them to be part of the family of God. But yet, if we're so enamored with other things, and we become about other things instead of the most important thing, that being our walk with Jesus Christ and what He wants to do in our lives and in the world today, So God has spoken to us very clearly and very powerfully through Christ and in the scriptures. And I'm kind of cheesy. This is where I'm, I'm just letting you know what I'm about to say is kind of cheesy, and that's okay. I'm a dad. I get every one of your jokes, Brian, all of them. I'm a dad. I'm proud of you. They're good. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Just as they have compiled all of these 27 satellites and all the railways and all of that to make a, a VLA, a very large array, to hear something from God. I want you to know that God has a, a VLE, a very large ear, and he wants to hear from you. Was that as cheesy as it was in my head? That's okay. No shame in my game. I'd do it again. When we talk about the, the name and nature, I want to dig into this too. We, we talk about Jesus Christ, and, and some of you, and this is no fault of your own, you actually may think that Christ is Jesus' last name. That's true. I'm not even trying to be funny. Some people think that. Uh, that's not Jesus' last name. 
we, we know nothing of Jesus' last name. All we know is, is Jesus' earthly name was, was Jesus. And we also know that, that that word in Hebrew is Yeshua, which is translated, and you may see this in the Old Testament too, translated into English, Yeshua is translated into Joshua, which is a very common name uh, biblically. It's very common, Old and New Testament. Because Joshua was a hero of the Old Testament. So we tend to name, uh, in their culture and in ours today, we, we tend to name people after other people who were significant in the world. And Joshua was amazing, great military leader. Um, I'm going to preach on him in a couple weeks on Father's Day. But it's like he was an amazing guy, right? So Jesus is, is the personal name, but Christ is actually his title. So it's a connection between the name and nature of, of Jesus together, Jesus, personal name, Christ being title, also meaning the anointed one or Messiah. Of which in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies actually pointing to Jesus that would be fulfilled in Jesus, some of which have already been fulfilled. We're still waiting for Jesus to fulfill some other ones, messianic prophecies, as, as that terminology goes. But Jesus and Christ. So the na- his name and nature are together. Just as it says on, that I, I put on the screen, Christ is his title, meaning that he was sent by God, divinely appointed to be the deliverer and king of his people. To, to not put myself on the level of Jesus, because that would be foolish, and we all know that's not true, but I'll, I'll just use an example of myself to convey this point, just to, to clarify it, just in case you're confused. So for me, my, my personal name is what? You know me. My name's Chad, okay? <laughs> you're like, Chad? I'm like, oh, you're embarrassed to know me. I got it now. I got it. I got it. Right? My personal name is Chad, of course. But my title is I'm the pastor at Calvary Baptist Church, right? So that's just strictly my title. And somebody had the title before me, and somebody will have the title after me, and, and just continue until Jesus returns. Like, somebody's going to have the title here of being the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church. But, so there's, there's title, and then my personal name. But then if you were to say Pastor Chad, you're identifying my title with my personal name. So when we say Jesus Christ... We, in, we in, in one sense, are honoring the nearness of God and also the hallowedness or the otherness of God, Him being the Messiah, Jesus being personal, Christ being the Messiah, the anointed one. And I'll add more to that. So now, again, if you're taking notes, you're going to see your name. Again, not complicated. Use a couple different... Uh, illustrations from the Old Testament. I love to do this. I love the Old Testament. Um, but a couple of illustrations from the Old Testament to, to talk about the power in, in the name or your name. So in biblical times, you see this a lot, Old and New Testament, God changes people's names or their name meant something. And if you have a study Bible, oftentimes it tells you what that name actually means in that, in that original language. Um, so we're going to add to that. But we're going to start here. In 1 Samuel 
This is what the passage says. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Paul, so that his name was highly esteemed. So that his name was highly esteemed. So David had a good reputation. David had a, a, a better reputation than Saul. Saul, the first king, he's the king they all wanted. He stood head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And the people of God, not having big faith, but having small faith, they looked at Saul and said, he's bigger than us. He should lead us. And then he was the first king. King David would come after that. And notice, again, in this passage that's right on the screen, then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out to David and had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. In other words, they, were, they, they looked at David as if he had a good reputation because he had a good reputation with the people. He had behaved himself more wisely than Saul or Saul's servants. And the people noticed. Some of your uh, translations, it may say esteemed and, and some may say well-known. And it's not necessarily talking about fame. It's just talking about something having a good name. We, we use this terminology too. When we say something like, oh, you know, oh, that person, you know, they just have, they just have a good name here in town. Oh, I know who his dad was. His dad, he had a good name here in town. He took care of people. Maybe he was a business owner. Maybe he served the city well. Maybe he... He worked in city government or whatever the case may be. Or she worked in city government. She ran a business. And it was like, ah, you know, she was, she has a good name in town. They have a good name in town. That last name means something here in town. Well, when we say those kinds of things, what, we're, what we are saying is they have a good reputation. And it also means that that name stood for the character of the person being revealed. So when we, we're praying, hallowed be your name, we're, we're hallowing the name, but we're also saying that the name and the nature of God are one. And we are exalting both. Another illustration biblically is from Exodus. I'll set it up briefly and just say this, that Moses was having a discussion about God, about God's glory, because Moses was, he tended to be uh, a reluctant leader at times. He needed to be reminded over and over and over of God's presence and God's power because he felt himself, and I, I understand this to, at a personal level, he, he was, at times, he didn't feel himself worthy of the call that God put on his life. He didn't feel worthy like that he couldn't fulfill the task at hand. So God, several times, and by bringing not only God himself, but also by people, would show him um, certain things to add into Moses' faith and confidence. This is one example. In Exodus thirty-three eighteen, Moses says this, Show me your glory, God. What he's saying is, don't give me a job that I can't do without you here. Don't set me before a task 
if, if God, you're not going to deliver on the tasks. He says, because I feel really small right now, and, and my faith is not really big right now. And God, show me your glory, because when I see your glory, then I'll tend to trust you more. My faith will increase, and I will be able to, under your power, to be able to do what it is that you want me to do. One chapter later, God responds, Exodus 34, 5. The Lord says this, the Lord descended, or excuse me, this is what happened. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So Moses says, hey, God, could you show me your glory? Show me that otherness. Show me that distinction. Show me that differentness. Show me that that." That thing that, that Moses ended up seeing on the Mount Sinai when the, command, the Ten Commandments were being, were being etched out twice. Could, could you show me that? He needed that reminder. And notice what he, what he says, Lord. The Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with him there and, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. And what do you think the Lord said? Lord, 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 Lord. No. Look what he says in the, the very next couple verses. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So you see in this passage the name and the nature of God being woven together again. So he doesn't just say, Lord, 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 Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. Instead, he says the Lord twice, and then he shows certain attributes, divine attributes of God, because God's name and nature are to be hallowed and set apart and distinct. In other words, the name of God is a merger of all his attributes, and all that God, has been, and all that God is has been embodied in his name. Psalm 9.10 says this, let this word wash over you. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forget, forsaken those who seek you. See, those who really understand his character will trust him and they will naturally hallow his name. This will become something that just naturally comes through you, though it is supernatural through the power of God, but it will just naturally flow through you if you have a walk with God. So this isn't something that's just complicated just because it's a word we don't use. This is something that that the Spirit of God wants to draw out of all of us. God is holy, and God came near. Jesus was touchable and relatable and transcendent and real. Did you know that? Jesus was touchable and relatable and transcendent and real. If you're taking notes, that's on your card as well. He was touchable. He was real. People saw him. He wasn't a figment of people's imagination. People saw him. He touched them and and they touched him. He was touchable. 
He was relatable. And yet at the same time, he was transcendent and he was also very real. He is very real. Not just then, but also now. Which it makes, it makes this part all the more amazing to me. John 16, 23 and 24. There's an invitation this morning. This is after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus said this, In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So there's an invitation. He says, in, in that day. In other words, there's a day that's coming. There's going to be a day when, when the Holy Spirit is released. And you could read about this yourself in, in Acts 1.8. And then also it's fulfilled in Acts 2. And you can see when the Holy Spirit comes at the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit has had a, has had a, a significant difference in the world and amongst people's lives from that moment on. And Jesus is pointing to that day, and he says, And in that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. And Jesus is saying, There is going to be a day that I'm gone where you're not seeing me face to face. That you're going to be, you can use my name. Because when, when a child of God uses the, the name of Jesus, they're also given authority. They're authorized to use that name. Because when we pray in the name of Jesus, as a child of God, we have been given divine access to the power of God through the name of Jesus and the person of Jesus. Access. And there's power in this name. I'm almost through, but I'll share this story. It's worth telling. There was a family that was watching the movie, Lord of the Rings. They were watching in the movie theater, so you know this was a time ago. And as they're sitting watching the movie, a teenage boy stopped breathing right in the middle of the movie. Just stopped breathing. You can imagine the chaos. Father looks over and he sees his son not breathing. He doesn't know if he's choking. He has no idea what's going on. But it's not going away, and his son's not breathing, and he, he doesn't know. So now there's a stir. They turn the lights on. They shut the movie off. And now everybody in, in the whole room is just in a sense of pandemonium, and they're like, they don't know what to do. People who are far away and maybe a little bit afraid to, to engage for various reasons, they could just hear the father... David's father, pleading for David's life. Just pleading for his life. Pleading for him to start breathing. He was yelling, David, breathe! David, breathe! Over and over and over. As the movie stopped, a Christian man by the name of Norm, he came up right over David and, and he put his hand on David in an act of faith. And he said these words. And these are not, are not magical words. Th these aren't words of sorcery. There's power in the name of Jesus when somebody's authorized to use the name of Jesus. And he prays this. He says, in the name of Jesus, 
breathe. And David came back to life. Right in a movie theater. Yes, yes, praise God. So people ask questions, does God still do miracles? Yes, he still does miracles. And I'm still believing and hoping and and praying for my own miracles and for the miracles for some of you on your behalf and for you. And I tell you that story to encourage you in your faith. There's something special when we, uh, when we use, not in, in, a, in a personal, selfish way, but when we, when we use the name of Jesus because we're authorized to do so, when we use that name, that's the name that is above every other name. And that is the name by which we can access the power of God when we pray in accordance with His will. Would you stand? There's a story that dates back several centuries of a Scottish reformer during the Protestant Reformation, Scottish pastor, somebody who was standing against many evils in his day. He was the one who was, uh, he's held to be responsible for bringing the gospel to Scotland. So we talked about the, what had happened, the revival that happened, the Hebrides revival. Uh, well, the gospel made it to Scotland in, in a more pure way because of the ministry of a gentleman by the name of John Knox. At that same time, John Knox was standing against so much evil, including the Queen of England, who was known as Bloody Mary at the time. Known that, of course, by her cruelty. She herself didn't fear many things. She thought she had her, she thought she had control of most everything. And yet what's really interesting is she knew of the reputation that John Knox had and also the answer to John Knox's prayers that this woman, cruel woman, Queen of England, known as Bloody Mary, she said this, and I quote, I fear nothing except one thing, the prayers of John Knox. She says, I fear nothing except the prayers of John Knox because she believed, even a a heathen believed, that John Knox had the ability to go to God and that God would, would answer his prayers and move on his behalf. And you know that's the same God who exists today. God hasn't changed. His, his, his way he engages with his kids has not changed. It's still true today. You can go to God today. And the same power that was available to John the Baptist, John Knox, John the Disciple is the same power available today. God cares. God loves you. He wants to hear your voice. Let's pray together. Lord, what I've said today seems so simple. And I realize in some people, it gets really complicated. Because maybe they don't look at you 
from the perspective of who you are. They look at you through the perspective of who they are. So Jesus, allow us to hold dear to the hallowedness of your name in this moment, to not look at ourselves and our insufficiencies and our weaknesses and our past and our addictions. But God, by your grace, Spirit of God, allow us to look past ourselves into who you are as we make your name hallowed this morning. God, maybe there's somebody here today who just needs to come forward and just to, to just pour out their heart to you. And say, God, I'm sorry that I made a mess of things. That was my fault. That wasn't you. Maybe somebody needs to confess and repent of some things. Maybe somebody else just has a prayer that they've just been, maybe they've even been tempted to, to just give up on because they prayed it for so long. And God, maybe they need to, to respond today. Just doubling down and say, God, help me to have the faith to keep praying and petitioning you. I haven't seen the result, but I believe, God, that you are still one who brings results. God, move in the only way that you can and the way that you promise. As we keep your name hallowed today. Amen.